turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 1, please. Philippians chapter 1. The key verse to the book of Philippians is found in 121. It is a verse that almost everybody knows. If you do not already know it, let's learn it together. Philippians 1.21, you say it with me. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do it again. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Interestingly enough, if you were to ask me what Jesus means to me, I could think of no better reply than these six short words. Paul wrote them 1900 years ago. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The artist who spends the late and early days in the company of his paint and brush and canvas may very well say, for to me to live is art. The musician who thinks and dreams and speaks of nothing but his music may very well say, for me to live is music. I have some objects here that will help us understand a lot about people. There are some who say for me to live is to receive gifts. I like to get gifts. That's what some people think and they live for them. They don't only want gold gifts, they want red gifts. Any color, just gifts, bring them on. Then there are some who say for me to live is racing. Our radio broadcast is often um, displaced because of the races. Sometimes we come on at four o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know what it'll be today, but uh, a lot of people say for me to live is to race. They just want to race down the 500 or Daytona or wherever they go, and they, they like that. And then there are others who say, for me to live is fishing. Now I have this little symbol of a fishing because Hugh McGuire was using a lamp like that the night he gave his heart to Christ. He was getting ready to go fishing. If you want to know anything about fishing, you ask either Hugh McGuire or Ralph Guthrie. They knew all about fishing and they did a lot of it. And I had the privilege of going fishing with Hugh Many times, the only thing I know about fishing is what Hugh McGuire taught me. And the night he gave his heart to Christ, he was in his back behind his house, and he was fixing his lantern, and the lantern was about to go out. He said something like this, Hugh, the light of your life is going to go out one of these days. Where will you be then? And Hugh McGuire gave his heart to Jesus. He's been serving the Lord all these years. When we started the Glendale Chapel on Fifth Street, he went there and served for many years there, he and his wife. He has helped me baptize thousands of people in the baptistry. Hugh McGuire is here today. I thank God for his life and all he has meant to me. Now there are others who say, for me to live is to patch up old cars. I don't know how many people I've met that would give thousands of dollars for an old car. 
anybody wants to give me 50000 for this one, I'm glad to give it to you. Just bring in the cash, not a check, please. And there are a lot of people that want to patch up old cars, get them going again. I thought the first car I drove was a 1941 Ford. If I'd had any sense, instead of trading it, I'd have parked it in some garage somewhere, and today I'd be wealthy from that old car. Well, most of us can't do that. Then there are some who say for me to live is to travel. I like to get on a train. My dad was a trainman, and I went all over America on a pass from trains. When I was in high school, he got me a pass to go to St. Louis to see the ball game. And I've been to California and uh, Texas and uh, uh, Pennsylvania and New York and all those places on a train, and I liked it. Matter of fact, in high school, uh, they, you know they do this, this last will and testament of the things that you really want to accomplish in life. They asked me and I said, I want to travel. Well, God has given me the privilege of traveling a lot of places, but I didn't have to do it just to travel. I've been involved in the work of the Lord in various places. God has given me the honor and joy of traveling. But I want to say to you, for to me to live is not to travel, not to patch up an old car, not to see a race or a ball game, but for me to live is Christ. If anyone should ask you for a testimony, I've known some people say, well, you know, when they asked D.L. Moody for his testimony, he said, I, I, I tell you, I can't think of anything specific, but everything in general that God means to me. That was his testimony right after he got saved. They wouldn't let him in the church because he didn't know how to give a testimony. If you're called on to give a testimony, remember this passage, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can we really say that? Or is it more likely that we would say one of these things? I'd rather have gifts. I'd rather go fishing. I'd rather watch the car races. I'd like to patch up an old car, or I'd just like to travel. What is it for you to live? The Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote these words. He was writing to his favorite church. Of all the churches mentioned in the New Testament, the Philippian church is the one church that seemed to have no criticism. Paul called it his joy church. You remember how it was formed. Paul wanted to go over toward the east, toward Mongolia, Russia, China. God said, don't go that way, you go west. So he turned his face, went to Troas, and in the night he had a vision he saw some men standing from Macedonia. We read about Macedonia in the news today. It's that very same country. The men from Macedonia said, come over and help us. And Paul and his friends decided that meant a call from God. Shortly after that, they crossed the Aegean Sea, went to Europe or Macedonia. First time the gospel had ever been preached in Europe. And he found the little city of Philippi, named after one of the great emperors 
of the Roman Empire. And he found a lady out by a riverbank. Now notice, she'd gone out there sort of as a prayer meeting. You say, well, anybody that prays must be going to heaven. Lydia wasn't. She was sincere. She was religious. She was earnest. She was faithful, but was not saved. And Paul talked to Lydia about her faith in Christ. She didn't know much about it. But in those few moments they talked, Lydia gave her heart to Christ. One of the evidences of that, she invited Paul and his friends to come and stay at her house during their stay in Philippi. A few days later, they went downtown. They saw a familiar woman or a woman with familiar spirits, maybe a fortune teller or a street walker, or maybe a prostitute. And she was walking along and of course, the devil knows who Jesus is. He knows who we are. And the devil entered her or possessed her in such a way that she cried out, you're a disciple of the high God, the Lord Jesus. She did that daily. Finally, Paul decided he didn't need the testimony of a streetwalker. So he came up to her and talked to her about Jesus. And then he cast the devils out of her. And that streetwalker became a Christian. She joined the Philippian church. She was the second member of that church. And the people got so mad at Paul because she was making money for them, they arrested him and put him in prison. And while he was in prison, he and Silas at midnight were moaning and groaning and saying, why me, oh me, how terrible this is for us. No, they weren't doing that at all. They were singing praises to the Lord at midnight. And suddenly there was an earthquake. The prison doors were all opened and the guard thought they're all gonna escape. I better kill myself tomorrow morning, they'll kill me. And Paul cried out, do yourself no harm, we're all here. And that prison guard was so amazed, he came in and said to Paul and Silas, sirs, what must I do to be saved like you are? And that night, he gave his heart to Jesus, his whole house, they were all baptized. That was the church at Philippi. It was a people's church, a wealthy lady, Lydia, seller of purple, a street walker, a prison guard. And now that church has grown and grown and grown. And Paul is in prison under Nero in Rome. And he writes to this church. I don't know how long I'll have to finish this message this morning, but I want us to look at the entire first chapter, beginning in verse three. There's some tremendous truths here there are four truths in this chapter that I want to lay on your heart. His gratitude, his prayer, his spirit, and his yieldedness. Look in verse three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. You just think of that. Paul was so filled with gratitude. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. 
And he said, I'm confident of this very thing that he who hath begun a good work in me will perform it on, will begin a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. He said, I thank God for you. And he said, I know you're going to hold out to the end because he's the one that does the holding. I can write to Glendale Baptist Church today and say something somewhat the same. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Not because you're so good that you're going to hold out to the end, but because we have a Savior that holds on to us. Being confident of this very thing, that he hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Friend, you don't have to go around wondering if you're going to go to heaven or not. If you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. If you've been born of the Spirit of God, you're God's child. He is yours and you are His. He said, a mother may forget her little child, but I'll never forget you. How can I give you up? God called out to that nation that had defiled Him. How shall I give you up, Ephraim? I love you. And God says that to us. And the big question is, do you know you're saved? Paul said, I am thankful. I am thankful for a group of redeemed people who love God with all their hearts. Now, secondly, he had a sincere prayer in his heart for these people. Look at verse, beginning in verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. A fourfold prayer. He said, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. The word love here is agape. That you may be filled, so filled with his love that he'll give you knowledge and judgment. and understanding. This I pray for you, Paul said, to the Philippian church. I pray that you'll be filled with his love. And ladies and gentlemen, when we're filled with the love of God, we will love like God loves. We will be a vehicle through which God's love can pour to others. How do we stack up in one to 10 on the love scale? When we really love, we're not going to be ugly to people. We're not going to be curt to people and rude to people. We're not going to say ugly things about people. Do you know, every one of us has something about us that people, if they took it and twisted it, could say ugly things about us, right? <coughs> Would you want them saying ugly things about you? Then why do you say ugly things about them? We say it's true. So what? When words come out of our mouths, we need to make them pass some tests. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it kind? Number three, is it necessary? Number four, will it honor God? This I pray that your love may abound more and more. And then secondly, he said, this I pray 
that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense. Approve things, in other words, he said, I pray that you'll have some discernment. Recognize the things that really are important as over against the things of lesser importance. A lot of times we have little discernment. We jump in on the bandwagon for certain popular things and we go along with them. We don't think through how will this affect others or my own life. You know, most of us are not faced with the question, is this thing good or bad? We're faced with the question, is this thing good or excellent? And he said, I want you to discern things that are excellent. Almost everyone in this room is faced day by day with good things. And then there's something more excellent. Which do we choose? For example, during the month of March when we were in the face of all kinds of tournaments, and on Sundays when there are Super Bowl games, and you can't hardly pull yourself away from the television because you want to see it, and you say, well, I'll tell you, it's just one Sunday I can stay home and watch that. I don't have to go to church. You see, you don't have the discernment to recognize the excellent thing is over against the good thing. Nothing wrong with a ball game. It's not sin unless you allow it to keep you from the more excellent thing. Same way with life all down the scale in all of our lives. Paul said, I pray that you may discern things that are excellent. And then he says that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. That's a tough one. He does not want us to be mere flatterers or say insincere, nice things to people and then in our mind think something else. Be sincere and without offense. It's put another way in Scripture, be blameless. And then he said, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Be filled with God's power and God's fruit. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Then look in verses 12 to 19. His spirit, listen to this. I would you should understand, brethren, let the things that happened to me have rather fallen out under the furtherance of the gospel, so that in my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all of the places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my, by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even by envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not, not sincerely supposing to add to my afflictions, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You imagine Paul, the great, great man of God. He was the Aristotle of his day. 
He'd gone everywhere preaching the word and he had started churches all over the world at that time. Now he's in prison. He's under Nero. Nero is a mean, mean man. He doesn't know any moment whether the next day he'll be beheaded or be freed. And he says, I'm in prison and, and some are making mock of me and some are saying, I told you so and, and so on. He said, that's okay. Some are out there preaching sincerely. Some are preaching in contention. Some are being ugly, saying ugly things about me. That's all right. I have a spirit of love for Christ. And if the gospel is being preached, it's okay. Whoever preaches it. Now, can we get to the point where we can say that? Some may pass above us. Some may excel more. Some may be able to play the piano better than others. Some may be able to sing and move hearts of people all over the world. And some maybe can't do it quite that well. We don't have to bring anybody down because we're not where they are. We can just say, thank you, Lord, that the word is being preached, it's being sung, it's being practiced, it's being used by God. Thank you. And then I want you to notice his yieldedness. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so and also Christ, Christ may be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to magnify Christ. I want him to be the sumum bonum of my life. I want everybody in the world to know that when I passed by during the latter part of the first century, from the time of Christ in about 30 to 64 AD, 34 years later, that during that period of time, I, Paul, had as my theme for to me to live is for Christ to live. For me to go to the grocery store is for Christ to go to the grocery store. For me to stop and get a Coke is for Christ to stop and get a Coke. For, Christ, for me to go into a saloon is for Christ to go into a saloon. For me to go to visit a prostitute is for Christ to go visit a prostitute. Ooh, wait a minute, preacher. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Christ is in me. And wherever I go and whatever I do, Christ is there. For me to live is for Christ to live in a world that hates God. Our world today doesn't hate, hate God any worse than the world in which Paul lived. In those days, they were all religious. They were worshiping the sun, the moon, and the stars, and Jupiter, and all those other uh, pagan things. And Paul was in conflict with all of that. Sometimes they were ugly to him. Today, people are wor worshiping materialism. They're worshiping cars and ball games and education and all those other things. And when you stand true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, some won't like it. Paul said, that's all right. I want people to know where I've lived and where I've been, that for to me to live is Christ to live. And that's not all. To die is gain. 
There's more. There's so much more. I heard Dr. Gordon say one day, if there were no afterlife, it would still be worthwhile to live for Jesus here because you have a victory in this life. And then he said, but there's so much more. There is so much more. After life here, there are two arenas where our life goes on. Number one, here. The influence of our life goes on and on and on. That's the reason we're not judged when we first die. We're not, believers are not judged till the judgment seat of Christ, till it's all over, and we're all caught up together to be with Him. And the whole story is finished. Listen, when you die, your story's not finished. You're going to live on. Ingersoll lives on today as an atheist. Madeline Murray O'Hara lives on today as the one who took prayer and Bible out of the schools. I understand they found her remains down in Texas in a shallow grave. But she lives on. What kind of life after your life here do you want? Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen. Paul was not appreciated in his own day nearly as much as he is today. Do you know that? And you may not be appreciated today nearly as much as you will when you've departed here. There's more. Most of us in growing up didn't appreciate our discipline from mom and dad. We didn't appreciate the spankings and the whippings and the going to a closet or going to bed without supper. We didn't like that at all. But looking back on it, I know that some were abused. Some have reason to have a hangover spiritually, mentally, emotionally. But most of us would have to say thank you, Lord, for a mother and daddy that cared. Thank you for them. Now, your life is going to count not only in death, and we'll talk about that maybe tonight. I'm not sure we'll get to it now. But your life is going to count after you're gone here. And when someone passes the tombstone out in the graveyard and they look down and see your life. I was out at the graves the other day and saw the beautiful monument that's been erected for Dr. Miss Gordon. Beautiful. And when I stood there and looked at that grave, I knew he wasn't there, but I thought of all the people he influenced toward heaven. I thought of the impact he had on life after life after life that I knew about. Before that in Mississippi and Louisiana and other places. And on and on, the life of Clyde Gordon lives on here. Not only there. So will your life. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now let me ask you this. It's a sobering question. If you should suddenly die today, what are you leaving behind you? What would they say when they pass your monument? Well, there was a hypocrite. He went to church, but he lived outside the church like everybody else lives. The only difference I could see in him that he went to church on Sunday, but the rest of the time he cheated. Last time he lied. 
The rest of the time he lived a worldly life. He cussed and drank, chewed, ran around. Is that what they're going to say? I want to tell you, it can all change right now. If you would determine, Lord, if you'll let me live another day, I'm going to so order my life that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain right here. I'll finish this tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray for the hand of God upon all of us. We pray, O oh God, that you would so speak to our hearts that we could say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What are we singing?